empowering the future. Hello and a very warm welcome to our listeners to our podcast series where you will hear from industry experts and academicians on topics that impact us as an individual and as a professional. Today's episode gives us more than one reason to be special because not only is it our first but it also brings together our CEO Mr. Niranjan Nadkarni along with his fellow alumnus from the Manipal Institute of Technology Professor M Vijayakini. After many leadership roles in the company Niranjan who has been associated with Tufsud for over 25 years assumed the role of CEO for South Asia ASEAN Middle East and Africa region in the year 2017. Today in conversation with him we have Professor Harish S Kumar Associate Director MIT along with Professor Vitaleshwar A Professor of Department of Humanities and Management MIT. Welcome to the podcast. We are very happy to have all of you for this inaugural episode. Thanks Karan. Uh, I am very happy to be here and e meet the MIT team today. Thank you Karan and happy to be here along with my colleagues and look forward this conversation with Niranjan. Our podcast today is focused on sharing insights with students to help them be better prepared as they embark on their professional life and understand the dynamics of the corporate world that may play an important role in designing their career trajectory. So without any further ado, let us dive in and request Dr. Vitaleshwar and Dr. Harish to take us further through this episode with Niranjan that focuses on career conversations and more over to you thank you karan and niranjan i am going to ask this question to mr niranjan this question goes like this every five year student will have on his her or her mind how do i prepare for the placement session what are the qualities that a company looks for while recruiting because i uh, being a part of placement for a long time i could read the minds of the people and it is in a very important query probably mr niranjan can throw light based on his experience thank you very much professor for asking very pertinent and very good question i am sure that every student will have this kind of question on their mind and with your experience in placement i believe that this is a very right question to address let me say this normally uh, companies are assured of technical evaluation or the technical skill sets uh, as they are coming to a college of repute like mit but students need to identify what is their key differentiator what is the value that they will bring onto the table a very good understanding of the company's strategy and culture will certainly help in identifying this i would also say that some of the key differentiators besides the technical skills are attitude accountability resilience passion typically assessed through psychometric tests and interview because most of the companies they use this psychometric test as well as the interview you know even before they call the student for the interview and if you really ask me what i look for i look for hunger to grow hunger to contribute hunger to collaborate and a fit part of it whether it is a cultural fit growth fit skill fit for example if there are two candidates with equal technical scores i would choose the one who has more hunger yeah i completely agree with you mr niranjan that's where i feel the mit and stands out in a selection process whenever uh, there is a full campus it recruitment takes place of course when it takes place at mit all mitians are on the say, level playing field 
But again, the smartest guy will come out of flying colors after the selection process. Now I request Dr. Harish Kumar to clarify his query. Hi, Mr. Niranjan. Hello, uh, Professor Harish. As you know, we at MIT are proud to have strongest alumni base excelled in industry, academia, research and administration. We are proud and happy to know you are one among them reached the highest level in your career as CEO. In your opinion, what do you think are critical aspects or factors for a successful career? Thank you very much, Professor Harish, for your kind words. And I'm very proud that I'm alumni of a college like MIT, you know, which makes us stand apart in the crowd, I would say. So to your question here, I would like to say that, you know, the students must take ownership of their own career and they should have a strategy for it. As you know that today companies invest extensively in the talent development and talent retention and opportunities will certainly knock on the door. The only thing the students must ensure is they are prepared to seize the opportunity and perform in such a way that it creates a multiplier effect for them. And then some of the very important aspects I would like to share here, which are very important, that they develop the skill to be an effective communicator. And this is very, very important at any stage of their career and plays a significant role as they start leading a team. And generally, you see that the successful leaders, I mean, if you read the biographies or you talk to the successful leaders, one common thread amongst all of them is that they're excellent communicators. So I would definitely recommend the students that, you know, they should improve on their communication skills. Secondly, I would say that be an agile, lifelong learner in this VUCA world. The ability to unlearn, learn and relearn is absolutely critical. Another important aspect is a risk appetite. To try new things and take accountability always goes a long way. We must tell the students that everything they do may not give them the desired outcome, but as long as their actions help the organization to evolve and progress in the direction it intends to, this will be always good. Take my example. I started as a manager in this company. And over the years, the opportunities that the leadership team extended to me, I seized those opportunities, did the task to the best of my ability and went that extra mile. And today I'm here talking to you on this podcast as an alumnus of Manipal Institute of Technology. Thank you so much, Niranjan. It is highly informative and useful to our students regarding the qualities to achieve for a successful career. I'm very glad. Thank you. So in continuation to our discussion, I would like to ask one more question to you. Climbing the corporate ladder, is there a timeline or a definition for this? Oh, that's also a very good question. And here I would like to say that, you know, probably we should go a little bit back in, in the months. If you have seen that in the last few months, we have witnessed changes at a rate that we never witnessed earlier. And this rate of change is bound to accelerate. And this will lead to a paradigm shift on how we interact, how we do our task. I think the concept of climbing the corporate ladder typically seen as a linear path. You know, I would like to repeat this, uh, that every time the students or the employees see that uh, climbing the corporate ladder is a linear path, but this will also change, you know, because it's supported by new opportunities leading to a non-linear growth opportunities. And what I mean by non-linear is it can be much faster or slower or, you know, at a different pace altogether. I do not mean to say that, you know, the career trajectory will be unstructured. 
What I mean here that if you have or a very good fit factors, which I mentioned just earlier, will change the basic pattern and timelines associated with the career growth. So it depends on all these factors, you know, and the most important part is that the students must understand that it can be a non-linear growth opportunities in the years to come. Thank you, Mr. Ranjan. Related to, to our discussion, I have uh, one more question too. Uh, specialization versus generalization. What's your take on this? Is there a tipping point on one's career that changes this focus? Yes, Professor, thank you once again for asking this question because I'm very sure that at some point of time in the career of the employees or students, I would say here, this question would always come, you know, whether to pursue a technical career or a generalized like a management kind of field that always hits you at some point of time. So here I would say that if you join a well-established organization, you will be hired to do a particular activity that you specialize in. You know, because graduated in a particular field, maybe it's mechanical engineering or electrical engineering or whatever. And then, you know, you have specified a certain thing in your mind, as well as the company also has something in their mind that there is a particular job description and job role for a particular position. But over the years, the scope of specialization will broaden, enhancing your ability to do and take on more. And then, as you mentioned, a tipping point, it comes in a stage in a career where you would need to decide if you would like to continue the technical track as a specialist or take a managerial role. And most organizations like to observe offer options to develop career paths to choose between the technical and managerial track and then invest and get to prepare to take on new opportunities. Uh, it is also very crucial that you follow your passion and aptitude because this is very very important when making a decision about your life otherwise there are examples of good specialists becoming a bad manager or vice versa sometimes you know from career perspective it is important to choose whether it is a specialization in a specialist way or a general management but then sometimes you need to also check on your aptitude so you're really really successful and you enjoy the job in years to come Thank you, Mr. Ranjan. Your uh, inputs are highly valuable and which will help the budding engineers to grow in their career. Thank you so much. Mr. Ranjan, in fact, as a former placement officer, I have faced two times in my experience. Uh, like the question goes like this, how does an employee ensure that he or she is recession proof? For example, I have come across this kind of scenario in the 9 by 11 attack. After that, students who have placed in 2001 and 2002 academic year, they all graduated in 2002. When they came out, there is a different kind of scenario in front of them. A lot of offers were cancelled, rather the instances their joining times were deferred, unexpected scenario and then graduate phases when he comes out of the college. Because as Peter Drucker said, we are going to live in a period of uncertainty and have experienced in 2001 to academic year. The next second time, I have faced similar situation in 2008. People who have graduated in 2009 have faced similar situation, but not to the extent. And last year, 2020, once again, a third batch faced the similar situation when they graduated due to epidemic. So coming back to my question once again, there are two ways of looking at it. One is when he comes out, when he gets into the job, but he or she faces similar kind of situation throughout his career. It can happen at any point of time. 
so how does an employee ensure that he or she is a recession proof thank you very much professor for asking this a very very pertinent question actually this is so valid in the current situation of covid because you have seen that for more than one year the whole world had changed the approaches and the job market uh, there are lots of companies who are out of the market there are a lot of you know employees who lost their jobs there are a lot of students who got offers but then they were not taken into the company because the companies were facing a recession and you very rightly mentioned about 911 or maybe the crisis of 2008 the financial crisis where you know the whole world it changed the whole dynamic it changed and that's where we call this as a vuca world that the whole world is volatile and uncertain and ambiguous and in that we definitely need to understand how the student approaches when he or she is in employment and probably also as a student so let me first address it if you are an employee of the company already got a job and then suddenly you face this kind of crisis like your 2000 financial crisis or covid crisis and you know things like that which really 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 creates a very uncertain environment but let me address this question by changing the word recession to redundancy because normally the recession is associated with the industry or a particular sector or a particular economy but its effect on an individual is redundancy you know so he finds suddenly that there is no place for him i would say that as the pace of change accelerates the need to constantly upgrade and update becomes paramount important what we have witnessed over the last one year and this is what exactly i was talking about the covid situation has acted as a catalyst for digital transformation you might have heard or seen the whatsapp forward of who pushed the digital transformation is it covid or your ceo and that says a lot i would say that professor the digitalization because the whole world changing with digitalization new technologies are coming every day in day out so digitalization and the technologies that supports this change are also fast evolving you know so today they are talking about certain technologies tomorrow the technology is completely changed so how do we as an employee address to this so today we are talking about things like small factories smart factories additive manufacturing digital twins robotics ai but this too will also witness changes and updation so nothing is static everything will be dynamic and the students must realize that today they are joining the global workforce and not the local or national workforce let me repeat that the students must realize that today they yeah. are joining the global workforce and not the local or national workforce and i would say that even if they are joining a company which is completely local because of the connected world they are no more local there is impact on them of everything which is happening worldwide so with digitalization the whole world has shrunk i would say and it is more connected which will only increase in the years to come the need to constantly upgrade their skills through formal or informal learning paths and stay relevant is the key the most important thing that how do you stay relevant in this kind of dynamic vuca world that will really sail you through the so called recession or redundancy let me share my experience i apply the five hour principle i invest at least i would say at least 5 hours a week to learn and this learning methodology can be of your preference somebody would like to read a book somebody would like to watch certain harvard or princeton university lectures somebody would like to also have certain series of lectures and things like that there are certain skill enhancement programs and 
every student can decide that what is applicable to him, what is his his or her interest. That way, I believe that the employee or student can. It's impossible to talk about a recession proof or a redundancy proof because the whole world is VUCA world. But at least you can address to the changing environment whether you're a student or whether you're an employee of a company. That's great, Niranjan. In fact, on the lighter side, I always used to tell my students, please consider yourself as a global employee. Whenever you want to change the job, don't change the job for the sake of a few dollars more salary increase. If you really convert the local change rate of dollar and rupee value or for that matter, any other currency in the world, always you try to either convert it into dollars or euro, euros and try to see. You look at the job from the value addition when you are changing the job. Well said. And I would say that the whole world is changing so fast. We cannot even imagine it. That probably sitting here, we think that things are not happening worldwide, but the world is changing extremely fast. And then if you are not attuned to the whole process, maybe we lag behind. And this is something the students must understand or employees must understand. They are part of this big global world where it is well connected. The world has shrunk and there are opportunities which will come not just locally, as well as if there are kind of changes happening in the world, the impact of that can also be local. So this is something I think students or employees must keep in mind. Exactly. In, in fact, I always used to suggest them the Peter Senge's fifth discipline, which has changed the thinking of the people, the learning organizations. What are learning organizations? Again, people who constantly unlearn their old practices and try to learn new practices. I mean, I always suggest this book for them and try to understand what Peter Senge said in that book. So that acts as relevance to preparing themselves always for the future. And I always tell them you need to be proactive rather than reactive. When you adopt a reactive strategy, you will sustain. When somebody try to sustain, they will perish. When they aim at growth, they will sustain. My next question goes like this, Niranjan. This is related to the kind of responsibility you are handling currently as in charge of ASEAN, South Asia, Middle East and Africa. It definitely it's a huge responsibility in a diversified region. So can you throw some light on your learnings, experiences and challenges because our students will be working in a far more connected world. As you said, it's a shrinking world. It's a global village with the diversity as a key aspect of workplace dynamics it will be very helpful for them to know more on this. Professor, I'm really glad that you asked me this question because I'm very proud and I, I feel myself very fortunate to handle pretty exciting region. You know, as you rightly mentioned, it encompasses ASEAN, which is primarily uh, Singapore and all the ASEAN countries. South Asia is basically your India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka and the other countries. Middle East, the whole of Middle East and Africa. So this region, what we call as ASEAN region. And of course, I do also have responsibility for Australia and New Zealand. If you really see that this is more than 50% of the world's population and more than 50% of the world's land mass. So I consider myself as very fortunate to handle a region which is so diverse and so large geographically as well as from the population perspective. Just to give you some interesting things from this region, we have more than 1000 languages. So even if we just Google 
how many languages are there in Africa, it would give you an answer of 1,000 to 1,500. I was in Indonesia and I learned there that, uh, you know that Indonesia consists of so many islands and that country has 375 languages. You see our own country, India, it has probably more than 100 languages and so many dialects. It's so interesting and diverse that you have more than 1,000 languages or 2,000 languages. There are different cultures. If you really look at the different time zones, if I see the extreme places like in Africa, for me as a region, say Morocco, and if I have to travel to Australia, probably there are something like eight or nine time zones. So your flight will take you through eight to nine time zones. What is interesting, I believe, and very rightly mentioned by you, Professor, is the diversity. You know, the diversity is one of the biggest strengths we have. It offers different thinking hats, it offers different viewpoints, it offers different skill sets, it offers different experiences, and that's the real recipe for a successful team. The current and future workforce needs to take cognizance of this and learn to embrace and support the culture of diversity, equity, inclusiveness, and belonging. I think these are the most important thing in a diverse culture. As a leader, I can say that with a very perfect certainty that a culture that supports these factors not only experiences the benefits of enhanced synergized efforts, but also a happy and balanced work environment. When you work with the diversity, you know, the factors like equity, inclusiveness, belonging, those things you come across automatically. And that is something, uh, as I mentioned before, is a perfect recipe for a very successful team. Honestly speaking, Professor, I am extremely glad and privileged and fortunate that I handle this region with such a nice diversity. That's great. One last question, which is of great uh, significance from a very senior uh, MITN and it is a kind of a, because I expect MIT groom the leaders, the future leaders. So from that perspective, the last question is, as a CEO, what are your top five priorities that never change? Mr. Nirvindian. Yeah, thank you very much, Professor. I think this is such an important question and I'm very glad to answer that. Let me say even without thinking for a second, that my first priority, which would be the always first priority for me, is number one is values and ethics. This will never change. The values and ethics is, is absolutely important for me as a leader. The second, and I'm not talking about now in the ascending or descending order, you can change from the second or third or fourth or fifth, since you asked me the, the five priorities. But let me start with the second priority, which I would say that the customer or stakeholder centricity, because we all must understand that the customers are the main purpose for our business. If they are not there, the business is gone. So customer centricity is extremely important. Third, I would say employee well-being. As I've seen employees working for the company, they are the real assets for the business. So employee well-being is extremely important. Fourth one, I would say culture that drives what I call as DEIB. I just would like to say what is DEIB is primarily what I said before is diversity, equity, inclusiveness and belonging. So the discussion what we had on the diversity, it must be a part of the culture, which is so important for me. And fifth one, last but not the least, I would say that innovation and futuristic approach towards building a more sustainable world. So I would say that these are the five priorities which will never change for me.
So nice of you, Mr. Narendran, for thank you very much for spending your valuable time with us. And we are looking forward your visit very soon based on your convenience and the, the way the, the, these uh, epidemic implications are. So it makes us to be comfortable uh, to lead our, uh, come back to our normal life. And we are waiting for that opportunity to see you back in your campus. Now, uh, Dr. Harish will say a few words. Yeah, thank you so much, Sidranjan. It was so informative and your valuable uh, thoughts and uh, the inputs will be definitely helpful to our students to plan their career placements. You, I think you have covered almost all the points which are required for the personal and career growth of a student. And we are eagerly waiting for your visit to Manipal. Hearty welcome to Manipal as one of our proud alma mater. We are always happy to have you here and share your expertise and uh, your talk uh, to the students. Thank you so much. Thank you, professors. Uh, I think the pleasure is on my side. It was so enlightening. Your questions were really crisp and nice. I hope that I could bring in some value behind those questions so that our students would uh, gain out of it. But definitely, as you mentioned that, I'm really, really looking forward to come to Manipal. It's a very, very long time that I'm not visited, but whenever there is a next chance, I would really jump on it. So once again, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Niranjan, Professor Harish and Professor Vitaleshwar for your valuable time today. I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed this deep dive into career conversations, which is surely going to resonate with not just students, but even professionals given the current climate. But before we conclude, I'd just like to take this opportunity to take Niranjan down memory lane, along with his fellow alumnus from MIT, Professor M. Vijayakini, by asking them a couple of questions from their time as students at, at Manipal. So let me begin with you, Niranjan. My question to you is, was there any particular place or a hangout on campus perhaps that you might remember about the Institute or even as Manipal town, which brings back profound memories? Yeah, thanks a lot, Karan. I think you're really taken me down the memory lane uh, and it is so valuable to me. Let me remember, I might be, you know, sounding the name of the place because it's a pretty long time. But I remember that there was a place called Shantala, which was what we that time used to call as a Manipal circle, where we used to hang out and we used to have a lot of socialization in the evening. As the professors were mentioning about this diversity, we were having a lot of students with different backgrounds coming from different regions of India and abroad. And that was a place where we used to socialize a lot. The other joint I remember is a place called Diana. You just go down the hill a few kilometers from Manipal and that's the place where we used to meet and socialize and I believe that those were really fun days. Thank you. Thank you Niranjan for sharing that memory with us. Let's hope Professor Keeney also has something to relate to. So my question to you Professor Keeney is that would you happen to know if that place might still exist perhaps maybe in a new form or if you could share any specific memory from your side that you might have during those times. Hi, Narajan. Nice to meet you. E meet you, of course. The two names which you put up, one is Shandala and Diana. Yes, both of them are still open nowadays. Shandala is not as popular as it was during our days. It was in the Tiger Circle. And now they have renovated it and it's more of a restaurant than a student haunt. Yes, Manipal has changed 
quite a lot since 86. I had a short stint uh, outside an industry before I came here. And since then, a lot of changes. I'm sure you know that there were only six hostel blocks those days. Now we have 22 blocks, a capacity of something like 10,000 in MIT, and of which about 35 to 40 percent are ladies. I'm sure you'll remember that we hardly have had any ladies during our times, maybe four or six at most. Yeah, but it's a very vibrant campus now. All right, thank you so much, Niranjan and Dr. Keeney. With that, we come to the end of our episode today. I'd just like to remind our listeners that all our episodes will be made available on our website. You can also subscribe to our podcast channel across all major streaming platforms. Thank you once again for listening, and we look forward to catching up with you on Tufsud's next episode of Powering the Future.